0: Let's take our Bibles tonight and turn over to the book of Judges, book of Judges, chapter 16. We're in our Back to God series, and um, we're going to go ahead and kick that back off, read some Scripture there, and then we'll kind of recap very quickly what we've already addressed and discussed, and then we'll move along with some new material. Judges, chapter 16. Of course, we read there in Judges, chapter 16, about a man by the name of Samson, and, of course, he's in a relationship with a woman by the name of Delilah. Of course, it's not a very good relationship. It's not a very uh, a relationship built on honesty or any kind of real foundation at all. It's pretty, uh, a pretty weak relationship, obviously. And as we'll see here, it ends pretty bad. Real bad, actually. Real bad, indeed. So, nonetheless, in chapter 16... We can take the time to read many of the verses ahead of it, like we did the last week, but just for the sake of uh, time, we know that uh, ultimately Delilah says, listen, what's the source of your strength? Now, she'd been paid by the Philistines to find out. They really hated Samson because Samson was the strong man of the Bible, and Samson was a man who obviously created some real problems for them. And uh, as a result of that, they wanted to get rid of him. Well, they hired her to find the source of his strength, and sure enough, she began to question him. We know that in verse 6, she asked about the source of his strength. And he said, well, if you bind me with seven green wits, that'll do the job. Well, they did. And of course, it didn't help a thing. Matter of fact, he busted all that out and went out and did his, uh, just tore up those Philistines like he always does. And uh, she wasn't happy about that, but she thought she'd keep on the job because she certainly wanted to be paid. And, uh, so she asked again in verse 10, what in the world is the source of your strength? And he said, some new ropes, you buy me with new ropes and that'll do the job. Well, of course we know that he just broke those ropes like nothing. And of course went out again, like always. And then we know that later on in verse 13, uh, he said, she said, now listen, you've lied to me. You know, you've really broken my heart, Samson, you know, we really got a thing going here, you and I, and you know, I don't know how I can trust you if you won't tell me the truth. And that's funny. But nonetheless, he says, well, I'll tell you what, if you'll weave the seven locks of my head with a web, then guess what? I'm done. I'm finished. Well, of course, she did that as well. Now, you would think that Samson would be getting the picture, don't you? I mean, you would think that he'd have figured it out by now. Do you know how stupid men are? I mean, honestly, think about how dumb guy has got to be to let something like that happen. And let's be honest, it isn't just him. Man, women, the Bible says a woman will turn us to bread. A woman can tear us up. She'll mess us up. Boy, I tell you what, that's why it's so wonderful when a man finds a virtuous woman. You got one, you better thank God for that. Because she could twist and turn you if she chose. I mean, let's just be honest. We want to act all manly and all strong, but the strong man of the Bible, man, he got twisted and turned around big time. Here he is uh, trying to tell her, you know, lying to her, because he doesn't want to give up the secret. But in the long run, she's over here lying to him the whole time and then says, why are you lying to me? How can we build on this relationship if you're going to lie to me, Samson? There was no relationship to begin with. It was all flesh. And when we're seeing with physical eyes and not spiritual eyes, gentlemen, we will always be taken advantage of. Every single time. Nonetheless, it continues to go on in verse 15 and 16. And she said unto him, how canst thou say I love thee when thine heart is not with me? (laughs) That's amazing. Thou hast mocked me these three times and hast not told me wherein thy great strength lieth. And it came to pass, excuse me, when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. Man, I mean, you talk about the proverbial constant drip that the book of Proverbs talks about. It was a continual drip, and he finally got so fed up, he got so annoyed, he got so run down by it, so wearied by it. He finally says,
1: "Fine, I'll tell
0: you." Isn't that sad? But he did. He sure did. And so the Bible goes on to say, "It came." So it says here, "It came to pass that he daily with her words he urged him." so that his soul was vexed unto death, that he told her all his heart. Now listen, that should never be a problem, by the way, if you're with the right gal. You should always be able to tell her all your heart. And you ought to be able to tell him all your heart. Isn't it sad how we live with so many secrets today? Aren't there so many secrets? Well, I'll tell you what, we've got to be careful. The world says you have a right to your own thoughts, your own opinions, your own ideas. You're allowed to imagine this and imagine that, and really that's okay. Everything's all right nowadays. I tell you what, you better not have those kind of secrets. You've to be careful with that. Nonetheless, it came to pass that she pressed him, and as a result he told her all his heart and said unto her, There hath not come a razor upon my head. Now he was, had taken the Nazarite vow. This was a perpetual vow that he had. As a result, his hair is pretty long. Now listen, that doesn't give us a right to have long hair. The Bible tells us that even nature itself shows that that's not the case. It shouldn't be that way. Actually, men ought to have short hair. That's all there is to it. A woman, her glory is her hair, not a guy's. Now listen, he has long hair though, and he has it because he's taken a vow. You say, well that seems inconsistent to me. I know, it may seem inconsistent, but it was the vow. It was how it was. And whatever it is, it is a vow. And he's not going to touch his hair for nothing in the world. And honestly, let's be honest here. Was it really the hair that gave him his power? Because if it was, I promised you tomorrow morning I'd start growing it. I mean, I would would be pouring anything I could on my head to get it to grow again. I'd have big bald spots, but I'd have this thing really long. I may even have a big comb over. But if that's what gave him strength, I'd be having it. I, I tell you, I'd get some strength if that was the case. Now, I... You know, we know that in the long run, that really wasn't the real secret of his strength. It was the Spirit of God. But that here, uh, boy, I'll tell you what, this uh, vow that he had taken, it was just a reflection of how how little significance he gave to spiritual things. He had made a vow and he wouldn't keep his vow. He was willing to go into this and live in sin. He was willing to do things that were contrary to god's rule and god's order and god's morality and as a result of that he said listen i'm not that i'm really not that concerned about my purity and i'm not that concerned about my vow and i'm not that concerned about pleasing god i'm more concerned about pleasing me and that's really why samson ran into a problem and the hair represented his commitment to god and it represented his love for spiritual things and when we give up on the spiritual things and we look to the flesh, then ultimately the Spirit of God has nowhere to dwell in a sense. Well He may live in us, but He's not empowering us because we have seated ourselves on the throne of our lives. <clears throat> That's where He found Himself. And it goes on to say here that it he says that He told her all His heart and He sent her, There hath not come a razor upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God. From my mother's womb, if I be shaven, then my strength will go from me And I shall become weak and be like any other man. Uh, And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart. I don't know how she knew at that time. You know? I mean, she she got lied to a couple of other times. But there was obviously a difference. She could tell he was really sincere and honest. You know, I think it's a dangerous thing to play the lie game. I think ultimately people can see through lives if they, they're really sensitive to the Spirit of God and the things of God. Especially if they're, they know you. They'll be able to see through some of that. Be sure your sin will find you out, the Bible says. Notice what it says here as well. He goes on to say, "...then the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand." And she made him sleep upon her knees, verse 19. She called for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. It's an amazing statement. He said, I'm going to get out there, and I'm going to just... But when he went, he went, wow, I already feel tired and weak. What the, and then all of a sudden he realized that the moment that they attacked him, he didn't have a whole lot there. Nothing there. He didn't even know the Spirit of God had left him. He thought he had every bit of strength that he always did. He thought he was right where he belonged and he expected everything to turn out just like it always had, but guess what? It wasn't the same. And they went, You're nothing. Pushed him right over. That's pretty pitiful. Sad. Didn't even know the spirit of God had left him. Didn't even know the power of God had left him. You wonder about the church today, you know. Why do we have revival? Why do we want revival? Maybe it's because we don't really have the power we think we have. Maybe like Samson, we've come to believe that just because we have the machinery in place, we've got all the buildings and we've got all the mechanics, we've got all the programming, we've got everything that's necessary, needful to look like we have it all together. The fact is, we may not have any empowerment. We have a form of godliness, but we deny the power thereof. Could that be the case in the church today? Why is it we don't see souls saved? Why is it we don't see lives changed? Why is it we don't see families being brought back together and marriages restored? Why is it we don't see the kind of things that we saw in the past? Could it be that we don't have the power that they did? It just could be. I think there's a good possibility, matter of fact. Matter of fact, I'm convinced of it. But nonetheless, we see here that uh, old Samson here, he, he runs into a Meat grinder. His strength had went from him. And he said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And of course, he wist not that the Lord had departed from him. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes. And brought him down to Gaza. By the way, when you lose the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you'll be blind as well. Spiritually speaking. And he brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass. You too will be bound because of your sin. And he did grind in the prison house. Satan will use you, abuse you whenever you... Lose the power of God in your life, and you live by the flesh. Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. So we talked about this fact that, boy, you know, if anything, whatever needed to happen, and we know later on down the road, he turns to God and confesses his sin, and we see that God once again restores his strength. And he goes down in flames, of course. He goes down with a bunch of Philistines. But he had to get back to God. And boy, do we need to get back to God. We said, first of all, we need to get back to God because of our country. But we got a country that's worth fighting for, I believe, that's worth praying for. But we're going to have to get back to God. It's had its ups and downs through the years. It's had moments where it's gotten away from God in the past. And great revivals have transpired and taken place. And as a result, we got back to God and we've seen the glory of God again in our nation. And we've waxed and we've waned here and there. And now I believe we're in a spot in our nation's history that we're in desperate need of God again. Revival again. We need to get back to God. Jim Nelson Black, author of When Nations Die, he pointed out signs of decay in our modern society. Black listed such signs of decay as luxury, skepticism, weariness, superstition. A preoccupation with self, promotion of the wrong people, the urge to overspend, and a rise of liberal opinion. That is, the popularization of attitudes and policies controlled by sentiment rather than sound moral judgment. Wow, is that amazing? This guy's a prophet too. In Psalm chapter 9 verse 17, the Bible says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and those nations that forget God. Every nation, every nation that has neglected or rejected the God of creation has been ruined and wrecked. And America is in danger of the same fate. It's time we get back to God. It's time we return to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our generation needs revival, we said. Our nation needs revival. Our country needs it. But not only our country, but as we're going to find tonight, our culture. We've got a very degraded culture, a a very wicked culture. And as a culture, we need to get back to God. It's so imperative and it's so important. And so let's take a few minutes tonight and consider that thought and possibly maybe another. We'll see what time provides. But let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We thank you for the privilege that we have to gather tonight and Lord to be a part of this service. Thank you, Father, for 24 years of just allowing us to minister to people and to reach out to our community and to serve you, the Lord. Father, we ask, Lord, you'd give us many years. May we not allow ourselves to be secularized and humanized and ultimately give in to the world in which we live, but instead stand strong on your behalf and continue to maintain our testimony as a church and as a people. May we be strong on your behalf. And may we accomplish much for your glory. Now, bless this service, and Lord, be with us as we consider the need to get back to you in our culture. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Our society, again, has become increasingly decadent and evil. I mean, that's obvious, right? I don't think that we need to spend a lot of time necessarily saying it, but let me give you a few examples of how we have continued to go downhill or spiral out of control in this area. A few years ago, it's been some years ago now, on YouTube, and it does continue to this day. It's not nearly as popular as it was. But there was a group who offered what they called the Blasphemy Challenge. Now again, back in 2007, all the way up through about 2013, this was somewhat popular. It's not nearly as popular as it was then. But they offered instructions on how to damn your soul to hell, and then recorded and put it on YouTube. Here's how the instructions went. It said, you may damn yourself to hell however you would like, but somewhere in your video, you must say this phrase, I deny the Holy Spirit. Why? Question mark. Because, according to Mark 3.29 in the Holy Bible, it's interesting how people that are claimed to be atheists are using words like this, but anyway, 3.29 in the Holy Bible says, wherever blasphemies, whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, He's guilty of an eternal sin. We know that that is not what it's referring to. We don't have time to get into that aspect of it. But nonetheless, that's how they interpreted it. So they said, Jesus will forgive you for just about anything, but he won't forgive you for denying the existence of the Holy Spirit ever. This is one way, a one way road you're taking here. Isn't that amazing? That somebody would even consider taking a challenge like that. I, I just can't hardly wrap my mind around that. I mean, that's the, an evidence, again, of a decadent, wicked, sinful culture. An anti-God culture. Again, a number of years ago at Christmas time, I ran across an unusual auction on eBay. I shared this years ago, and I thought it was interesting, so I thought okay, I'd bring it back up. But there was, you know, I think it reflects the hopeless feelings that many have been inoculated with in our present culture again. It was posted on December 21st in 2008. So it's been about eight years ago now on December. And um, it said shipping, free shipping, ships to the United States. Item location, Owasso, Oklahoma, United States. I have up for auction my soul. I'm broke and have truly stopped caring. So here it is. For the winning bidder, for the winning bidder will be a photo of the one above. With a typed document saying that I have given you my soul. I will initial it in my blood if you see that you need it. Email me with anything else that you see that you might need. Also, I will frame the photo if my soul sells for over $5. Good luck and happy bidding. Uh, he goes on to say, don't wait. Explanation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Perform voodoo on me. Explanation point, explanation point, explanation point. Start or add to your collection. Tell me how bad of a person I am to feel better about yourself. Do whatever you want. It's yours. There were 12 bids that were made for his soul. Isn't that amazing? The soul sold for $8.50. Here was the buyer's feedback. (laughs) I bought your soul. And I'm sure that the devil was also laughing. I'm positive of that. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant for your adversary the devil is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. What would inspire young people especially to sell their souls? What would keep them or put them in a position where they feel they're so hopeless and helpless that they might as well just give up and give in? Take God out of our culture and that's what you get. The attack waged by the adversary has literally eaten at the very fabric of our society. Not only are we battling for the souls of men and women, but we're also fighting for the family unit. I mean, the very basics of our our existence is rooted in the home and family. And yet it seems that we have to literally battle over it. I mean, the sanctity of life, same-sex marriage, all of those things have ripped through our nation like a chainsaw. Immorality, indecency, and pornography have become commonplace today. It used to be as a youngster, if you went to a store, they at least would cover them up with little things. You wouldn't see anything. And then if you did see something, you had to sneak it because, you know, mom and dad would not be happy. And that wasn't what a decent young man did. That was considered perversion. And if you looked at it and you studied it or you you allowed it to be in your presence, you were considered perverted. Today, you're just normal. I recently uh, heard a, of a story of a young lady, she's just 17 years of age, she worked at a McDonald's restaurant, she's an employee there. A man came to the counter and he ordered a, made his order and while he was making his order he was on his, his phone and he took uh, that phone and he, and he, he kind of put it away a moment, made his order and stood over on the side and there he stood with his phone watching and looking at pornography there in the store right in front of everyone. 17-year-old girl having to deal with that, look at that, and see that. I don't know about you, but that's appalling, and that makes me sick. Right out in the middle of where children and everyone else is, we're just going to go ahead. We have no inhibition whatsoever. It's no big deal. It is what our culture accepts today. You can call it a Christian viewpoint, you can call it a conservative viewpoint, you can call it whatever you want. But from my perspective, it is a biblical viewpoint that that is just simply sickening and sin. Keep it to yourself at least if you're going to do that. Don't bring it out into public and don't put other people in harm's way. That's ridiculous. Why would you want to share such perversion We are consumed with corruption today in our culture. There's a hunger for decadence. There's an insatiable desire for drama among the mainstream America. Entertainment, pleasure, and ease are the very bedrock of this new culture that we find ourselves living in. The very values that founded our nation, that solidified our society, that molded our morals are being removed piece by piece. In the name of Personal freedom and expression, acceptance and tolerance, we've permitted the supports of liberty to be removed. You know, freedom doesn't stand on its own. It must be supported by principles, by character, by integrity. No wonder we're losing our freedoms because we have no character. No wonder we're struggling to maintain any sense of independence because we have no integrity. We're allowing other people to dictate and determine what road we're going to travel. We won't stand up for Jesus, for the Word of God, or even ourselves in many cases. So our culture simply swims in corruption. Swims in greed, lust, and pleasure. And let's be honest, whether or not we want to admit it or not, it affects every last one of us. And again, why is it that we want to prepare for revival? Why is it that we want to take time to to, you know, read Psalm 24 for the last six weeks and moving into eight weeks as we enter into this revival? Why is it we want to pray on a regular basis over the last four weeks and now moving into six weeks? Why is it we want to talk about the things we're grateful for and ultimately fast on media the week before and throughout that particular revival services? I'll tell you why, because we need it. We've got to prepare because we are swimming and we are saturated with corruption in our culture. How in the world can we expect God to get a hold of our hearts when they are so drenched in this debauchery? That we live in. And again, listen, don't misunderstand this for a moment. I still am thankful for life. And I am glad I live in America. And I am certainly thankful for the life God gives us. And we can make good out of what the world is trying to upset and upheave. And what the devil is trying to corrupt. I get it all. But the fact is is that you and I cannot lie to ourselves. This culture is affecting us in the church today. And we've got to take steps to try to maintain our walk and relationship with Him. As a nation, we've already moved away from prayer and the Bible. We took it out of our schools, replaced them with Darwinism, secularism, and humanism. We've taken and removed the Ten Commandments from the public domain while we, on the other hand, continue to promote anti-God agendas and encourage self-expression. We extol sinful behaviors and we expect... And and, and here's the real part that's really upsetting to me. We're expected... To not only tolerate it, but to embrace it and enthusiastically support it. Isn't that, doesn't that bother you? I mean, it's one thing that we have to tolerate it already, but now we're, we're considered bigoted and we're considered hateful just because we won't agree with it. You have to not just agree with it. You have to enthusiastically support it. It's funny how you're not prepared, we're not permitted Bible believers to have our opinions, to hold ourselves accountable to the Word of God without being criticized. It's sad, isn't it? There are constant attacks on the phrase, In God we trust, on our currency. Just recently, ardent secularist Michael Newdown is back in court arguing that In God we trust ought to be declared unconstitutional and removed from all currency. That was just in April of 2017. It's funny there was a missionary that I spoke with just this past week from Haiti and he wasn't an American missionary he was actually a native from Haiti He's in his 70s now but he's been over there for years and years trying to reach out and win people to Christ and feed people and meet needs in that very very difficult area because I mean people are just I mean just in such poverty there <clears throat> It was funny, one of the things he said to me was, he said, boy, in America, you even have in God we trust on your currency. And that hit me. I thought, for how long? How much longer? I mean, he looked up to America and he he saw it as a beacon of hope and light. Why? Because we put in God we trust on our currency. But let me tell you something, in your generation, young men and ladies, it will be off the currency. If not here in the next few years. It's been a battle raging for some time now. When it comes to agreeing on what determines right and wrong, Americans are far from standing in unison on that one. According to a majority of American adults, 57%, Knowing what is right and wrong is a matter of personal experience, according to Barna research. Right and wrong is a matter of personal experience. Barna president David Kinneman he contends that research indicates a new brand of morality has evolved in America. He insists that Christianity has for the most part been removed as the culture's moral norm and replaced with a new moral code, which he said consists of six tenets... This is based on research now. Here's what he says. These six tenets are what the new moral code is based on. Number one, the best way of finding yourself is by looking within yourself. People should not criticize someone else's life choices. To be fulfilled in life, you should pursue the things you desire most. The highest goal of life is to enjoy it as much as possible. People can believe whatever they want as long as those beliefs don't affect society. What? That's a joke, isn't it? As long as yours don't affect society. That means you can't open your mouth, you can't say anything, and you just still have to keep on, I accept it, I, I'm tolerant, I, I embrace it, I support it, even though you don't. Any kind of sexual expression between two consenting adults is acceptable. So that's basically the moral norm now. That's what he says from all the research seems to be the, the culture, the morality of this culture is bent toward those six elements. We've gotten away, he says, from God. We've gotten away from God's Word. This is no longer the standard. This is no longer the moral um, basis by which we, we define our culture and define our world and our, our worldview. No way. Not the Bible anymore. This is no longer the litmus test for right and wrong. See, the highest good, according to our society, he says, is finding yourself. And in living by what's right for you. He goes on to say there is a tremendous amount of individualism in today's society. And that's reflected, listen to this, that's reflected in the church too. Isn't that sad? Individuality. It's all about me and mine. Isn't that sad? Piece by piece, the foundation is being destroyed. Look, if you would, in Psalm chapter 11, verse 3. Psalm chapter 11, verse 3. A very familiar passage. But it says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Have you ever felt like you're kind of at the bottom of the barrel? You're kind of at the end of the line nowadays. What you think, what you feel, how uh, how you believe really doesn't matter a whole lot you ever feel like we're, behind a, uh, we're, we're between a rock and a hard place in Christianity? We know what the Bible teaches. We also know what society embraces and what society permits and what is politically correct. And we walk around on eggshells if we're not careful, fearful that someone might hear how we really believe if we believe God's Word. And they'll call us all kinds of names and we just feel so, so helpless at times. You know why that is? Because the foundations are being destroyed. Wait a second. It's not begun. The foundations did not begin to erode in the culture in which we live, though. We see evidence of an eroding culture because we have evidence of an eroding word of God in the lives of believers and in the church house. Let me ask you a simple question. How many memory verses have you learned in the last year? Could I call on you and say, Brother, would you please stand and quote at least two verses that you learned this past year and can quote from the Word of God? I wonder how many in the crowd could do that. And yet we will rant and rave about the fact that this culture is decadent and it's so wicked and sinful and they're destroying the foundation, the Word of God. Yet in our very homes, And in our own lives, this book has no greater place than it does in the culture we live. I just want to encourage you and I want to say to you, let's make God's word important in our homes. Let's spend time around that book. If you've got children, they need to hear you say, let's sit down and consider the word of God. Dad needs to read the Bible and pray and study Scripture and memorize. That mom needs to do the same. It's not enough to send our kids to Sunday school and expect the church to train them up. It's our job to do that. And we ought to do that by example. We may not be able to control whether or not the world and the devil get our culture. But we can truly make a difference as to whether or not he gets our children. We can do that. Look, if you would, in John chapter ten, verse ten, as we close. The devil is such a master at making this culture and the the world that we live in look so good to us, but he does not have our best interest at heart, not in the least. And may I encourage you to really consider some of the subtleties of Satan in your life and in your marriage and in your home because it 's by the little things he gets a he gets a his claws dug in a little bit i mean I, I still can many times remember watching a football game and one of the, some of them big fellows would reach out to grab a running back and they would just get a little piece of the jersey and with their strong paw, if you will, they'd hold on to that jersey and you'd see it stretching and stretching and stretching. Every once in a great while, they'd break free. But every once in a while, with that one little grasp, that couple little fingers, they were able to eventually pull them down in time or hold them long enough till others could jump on. And I say that's exactly what Satan will do in your life and in mine. Oh yeah, he's got our country maybe in so many respects. I understand. We say in God we trust on our money. You say, what's the big deal? We don't as a country anyway. Why keep it on our currency? Because I don't want to lose any more ground than we've lost. Amen. And as far as I'm concerned, we still need to be a Christian nation even if we don't act like one. And Let's not make all those changes. We'll just make it that much more to get it back when we do see revival in our nation. But we need to be careful in our own lives. Because little by little, those little subtleties are the things that he'll just get a little bit of a grasp. A little bit of a grip. And piece by piece, hold on to you as long as he can. And then it'll pile on one thing after another until finally he can cause you to fall. And sir, may I say to you today, we don't need men falling in the ministry today. We need men that'll stand. We need examples for our children and for our teenagers. We need examples of some of the elders of the church standing strong to the very end. Not giving up and not quitting before they take their final breath. Notice he says in John 10.10, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. There's not one thing that Satan offers that doesn't fit in that category. Not one. And although there's many things about our culture that may seem very pleasurable in our flesh, the fact is is that they are rooted in Satan himself, and he comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's all that he wants to do. However, Jesus said, I am come that they might have life. And that they might have it more abundantly. Have you ever heard somebody say, Well, I think you can get just get a little bit too religious. I think you can get a little bit too separated. I think you can get a little bit too godly. You ever hear people make statements like that to some degree or another? Are you kidding me? What's the alternative? And I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that sometimes people don't act like a bunch of fools. They get in a place where they think they're like, you know, God's gift to the world. They, they somehow believe somehow that they're so pious and so holy and so righteous that they can point fingers at everybody and tell everybody why they're so sinful. And all along hold their chest out and talk about how godly and good they are. And I'm not talking about that person. I'm talking about somebody who legitimately is spiritual who recognize that the only thing they got in life worth having is from Jesus alone, that they've earned nothing, but they are simply the the receivers of His grace and mercy. Oh yeah, they recognize and understand that God has things done and wants them done His way, but they're not going to sit there and condemn everybody else around them. They're kind of like the man in Romans, and he, he looks at life and says, if there's a sinner here, it's me. And I've got to deal with that. And if I can help a brother come along, if I can encourage somebody in the Word, if I can help somebody take a straighter path, I'll do what I can. I'm not there to judge people, but I am there to help people. Spiritual people are not the enemy. They're the solution to a problem that exists in our world. You don't get too spiritual. You may get too self consumed you may think yourself to be something you're not but you cannot get too spiritual god will set you straight if you're truly spiritual and you're going the wrong direction he'll get you back where you belong but you can't read the bible too much without god saying it's time to go out and work you can't pray too much without god saying hey listen spend a little time with your kids You you won't bear to do that. If you're truly in touch with God, He'll make sure you know the real need and He'll put you on the right path. Listen, I'm not talking about studying for 24 hours a day. Nobody needs to do that. We need to be in the Word and then we need to apply it in our lives. Get it? There's a balance in the Christian life. But let's be honest, there's probably plenty of room for getting closer to Jesus, who the Bible says is come that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. What kind of life do you want for you and your family? What kind of life do you want for the country we live in and for the culture that we have? I want an abundant life, don't you? And that's why we do what we do. That's why the room was filled up yesterday. I don't know, 70, 80 people taking our course or looking to try to understand and learn how to lead folks to Christ the other day. Because we know there's a need in our culture. We know our country's in desperate need of Christ. That people are dying and going to hell. And the only thing that's going to make a difference is Jesus Christ. Only him. Not really you and me. Although he'll use us as tools. It's really him that makes the difference. May God help us to realize that Jesus has come. That not only they, but we might have life. That we might have it more abundant. Let's make sure he's in our life. He's in our marriage. He's in our homes. He's in our children's bedrooms and in our living rooms and in our kitchens. Let's make sure that he's there. And our lives will be better and more abundant. Samson. He lost sight of God. He got pretty independent. He became kind of self-centered. He lost sight of where his strength really came from. If we're going to get back to God... We have to die to self and look to him. He is, as we often quote, the way, the truth, and the life. May God help us to get back to God today. As a nation, a country, as a culture, and as a church today even. Father, we love you. We thank you for all.